If you're new here, my name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here and excited about today and seeing your faces and um, getting to encourage you today. I got a couple of quick, quick things I just want to highlight before we get into the message today. And the number one thing, uh, next week is Easter. And we've created these little cards for the series we're starting called I Want to Believe But, where we're talking about some challenges, some things that's to our belief. Um, and so we'll be tackling the resurrection and what that means, what that looks like. And so, but we've made these little cards to be able to help you invite other people. I know I, me personally, I'm going to be inviting some of my neighbors, encouraging them to come to church, and uh, what a great moment and time to do that. The second thing is the affinity groups. You'll notice if you come out this way in this little quarter area that we have these affinity groups, which are interest groups to be able to get involved with, build community, and you'll find something that will scratch your itch. And so we really want to encourage you to get involved with that and uh, sign up for one of those groups. But without taking too much time and further ado, we have, we have a guest speaker today, and that is my lovely, amazing wife, Casey Pate, who I'm super excited about this series we've been doing called Words, she's going to come up and she's going to talk to us about encouraging words. And let me say this, knowing her since I was nine years old, she's an extremely encouraging person. And uh, she has the words of life for you uh, from the, the Heavenly Father, I think, specifically for us today. So can we welcome her one more time? Love you. Hi, good morning. I'm so, so glad to be here with you today. We're concluding our series that we've been talking about, the power of words. Our words create worlds. We, we've been saying the things that we say have the ability to produce life or death. And I'm probably a little bit biased, but I think it's been amazing because of the speaker that brings the word every week, who's none other than my husband. And I'm not just saying that because this is encouraging words today, honey. I really do mean it. it was, it's been amazing. It's been challenging. And especially the last two weeks, we have been talking about some really difficult topics. I don't know, if you, for those of you that have been here, we've been talking about um, gossiping words. Uh, which, um, you know, I don't know, even if you're wearing steel-toed boots, you've probably gotten your toes stepped on in the last few weeks. I don't know. I know I have because the things that we're talking about are very difficult. They're difficult to do, and we can see the damage that can happen when we can speak words that are damaging and that are, are death and not life. And so today, to end the series, we get to close on talking about the power of encouraging words. And so some of you may be like, oh, thank God. Woo, I need a break, man. This last couple weeks have been rough. Been talking about offensive words, gossiping words. Like, good. Today's encouraging words. Yes, I can do this. I can be encouraging. I can be a nice person. And, and I hope that that is true for all of you. Um, but I can't promise that you're going to get a break today because actually true biblical encouragement is hard to do sometimes. Um, it, it's actually not just giving someone a compliment. Um, it's not flattery. It's not making up something. Um, it, it's actually something quite different. And so maybe by the time that we finish today... We might still be going, oh, God, help us. Help us do this, Lord, because our words are powerful. And, you know, 
I don't know what it is about the effect of negative words. And I know that you have been the recipient of this. You've experienced this in your own life. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I think just our human nature, we just have this propensity towards critical, being negative. We can see the things that are wrong easier. But you've been in that place, right, where someone has said, 25 great things about you. They said, oh man, you're so, this is this and this, and you're, you're awesome at this, and man, you're so encouraging when you do this. And then there's the one thing, right? There's like the, but uh, when you do this, and then they begin to go into a maybe a criticism. Maybe it's just mean-spirited. Maybe it's constructive criticism, but our hearts don't receive it. Because that one negative thing just canceled out all of the great things that were said. And I, it's frustrating to me that we're like this, but we are. We really are. And so how much more important is it to talk about the power of encouraging words, knowing that we live in a world that is negative, that is critical, that is looking at every chance to find everything wrong with you and wrong with everyone else and their beliefs and their opinions and who they are and everything about them. How much more important is it for us to remember the power of encouraging words, to be those people. And we're going to look at that today. So I want to um, start the, the first slide that we've looked at um, before is Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So I want you to notice that it doesn't only just say death is in the power of the tongue. It also says life is in the power of the tongue. So we actually have the ability to do this. And we were looking at James at the beginning of the the series and it was like you know this like horribly depressing uh, passage of like oh the tongue the tongue who can tame it it's so awful it's so terrible you have no control over it it's going to be really bad for you whatever you say you bless the Lord and you curse everyone else with the same tongue and it's like kind of like oh this is a little bit depressing and we can all agree about that and we can agree about the negative effects but today I want us to also come into agreement about the power of life in the power of your tongue. And so let's define what encouragement actually is. I was just blown away when I was, uh, I heard this a long time ago, but the actual definition, dictionary definition, will preach in and of itself. The definition of encourage is a verb, first of all, means just action. It is to inspire with courage, spirit, or confidence. Now that is more than just a compliment. That's more than, hey, you look so nice today. Oh, I, I really just appreciate. No, you're inspiring courage in someone. So that to me says there's a little bit more to this thing, and I want to look at it today. And I want to look at the life of someone who I think was a great example of this. He's someone in the Bible that we don't see much about. We don't hear a ton about him, honestly. But his impact, you have felt. Whether you've heard his name or not, whether you recognize what he did or not, <clears throat> if you're a believer in this room, or even if you know about the Bible, you have benefited from the impact of this person's life. And we're going to look at someone whose name is Joseph. And even when I say that, you may be like, hmm, Joe, hmm, I, I don't know. I don't know, an axe? Who's that? Well, maybe you might recognize him by another name that we'll look at here in just a minute. But he was an awesome example of this. And so I want to look into his life, and I want us to ask the question as we look and see his example and the impact that he had. I want us to ask the question, how can we be a son of encouragement? 
and I just gave away what his, uh, the name you might recognize means. But son or daughter, I should say. I'm only going to say that once because there's a woman speaker today, so that should be enough, right? We don't, I'm not going to offend you by saying son of encouragement. I mean everybody in the room, okay? So we're going to look at this, and we're going to ask, how can we be like this by his example, okay? So we're going to parachute kind of into Acts 4. This is the first time we see this person. This is the first time we see Joseph in the Bible. And, and for those of you that aren't familiar with what's happening, Acts is like this super high-charged, adventurous, like messy, wonderful book where the first church is formed, where we see people go out into all the world and make disciples. And it's a, it's a very exciting time, but it's also a really crazy time because the Holy Spirit's fallen. Jesus just died. People are getting scattered. People are getting persecuted. And they're like, what is going on? But it's also exciting because they're, it says they're living together with one accord. Everything was like, what's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. We share everything. We live in common unity. It's great. And in the middle of this, we see the first mention of Joseph. So I want to go to Acts 4, and we're going to read the scripture. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as any had need. Here we go. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So maybe you've heard of Barnabas. I don't know. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But maybe what you didn't know is that wasn't even actually his real name. But because this marked his life so much, he was someone who exuded encouragement so much that he actually was renamed this nickname, son of encouragement, Barnabas. That's what it means, son. It means son of encouragement, exhortation, consolation. It's the Greek word, parakletos, in the same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit, which is actually, I think, pretty significant. But they, they called him this. He was known by this. So there just must be something about him. There must be something in the way he lived his life. And he went to people that made such an impact that they called him the son of encouragement. And they called on him a lot. And we're going to find that out. All right. So if we look at his life, I want to pull out three things that we see about Barnabas' life. And number one, a son of encouragement is not me-centered, but Christ-centered. We see this right off the bat, right? The first mention of his name is he's selling a field that he owned, and he gave all of the proceeds to the church. He was like, guys, I think we need this. I'm putting my money where my mouth is because I believe in this mission. I believe in this church. And he sold the field, which says about him he was well-to-do. He had money. He probably had a good reputation, and he was not concerned about himself. He sold the profits of that field, and he gave it to the church. He gave, put it at the apostles' feet. So right off the bat, we see he is not interested in himself. He is Christ-centered, which means everything that he is doing, he is trying to advance the kingdom of God. He's trying to see there's something more important out here besides just me and my thing and my success and my fame. We see this because he sent out all over the place. Later on, I didn't list all the scriptures because I don't have time. Because let's be real, when a woman speaks, she's going to talk. And I already went long in the first service. So Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Um, so I did not list all the scriptures for all of this. But 
Barnabas and Saul, we, Paul, we see are sent out, sent out, they're sent out all over the place. So we see that he was constantly moving. He was constantly going out. He was constantly going to encourage people. He was constantly going to all of these newly like baby churches that were like, this is good. This is a lot of potential here, but it's also like a little scary because these are all new converts and we just kind of never know what we're going to get. He was constantly going out and the scripture talks about that. It, it mentions him 23 times in Acts, the only book that he's mentioned in, Paul mentions him five times in his letters, yet we don't have an actual single recorded word of his in the Bible, which is interesting to me. But what that also says to me is that he did not care who got the credit. He didn't care who got the glory. He was content to be behind the scenes. He was content, and the Bible actually gives some pretty good evidence that he was good in his own right. Like he was a strong, it says later that he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He, he could teach, he could preach, he could go. But what's interesting is that we don't see him in the, action, in the Bible be the one that does that. He goes and gets Paul. So being not me-centered but Christ-centered, he said, you know, there's something about Paul that would be a really great fit for this church, and I'm going to go get him. Even though I could, I could stay. I could be awesome here. I have a gift. I'm really great. I can speak. I can encourage. But he said, no, 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 no. Paul's the guy for this job, and I'm going to go get him. And so he did. He was not interested in his own glory, in his own fame. And, you know, sometimes it's honestly hard to not be me-centered. That sounds kind of mean, and we want to be like, I'm not me-centered. I'm not we kind of are most days, right? Because we're just, we have our lives. We have our, you know, if you're a mom or a wife, you know, what am I going to make for dinner? What am I going to do? I got to do loads of laundry. I got to, you know, we have our lives. And so naturally they're me-centered lives. And it's kind of difficult to move away from that apart from the power of the spirit. But we see Barnabas is not me-centered. He's Christ-centered. And that's important. If you're going to be a son of encouragement, that we have to be thinking about others, and we have to not be thinking about ourselves. He saw some things there, okay? The second slide, the second point I mean, is a son of encouragement looks for the evidence of grace at work. I love this point. It's so great. I could spend all day on this point. But Barnabas didn't just go to people and make up things to say about them. He was basing it off of something that was there. And I think that's really important if we're going to talk about the impact that encouraging words can have. Because there was already the evidence of God working, and he used that to pull out the potential in people. And we see this in Acts. We're going to read about this here in a second. But um, again, like I said, the church, this, this first church, I mean, we love them. They were, they're an amazing example. But you have to remember when God is moving and there's revival happening, it's really messy. People don't have time to get their lives together before God starts moving. So what you have is just a mess of people who God has done miracles, signs and wonders, but they still got their Stuff. I mean, like, maybe they were saved, like, 20 minutes ago, right? So, like, they're not going to be, like, instantly sanctified people. They were a little bit of a hot mess in the first church. I mean, they just were. They just were. And so the, uh, the disciples, the apostles, are looking at this particular church that we're going to read about. Go ahead and pull that up here, Acts. I'm trying to speak really fast when I read these scriptures, so follow along. All right. 
Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So at that time, they were really like only talking to their own kind. And God was kind of like, go into all the world and make disciples. Go to everybody. And they're like, oh, we're going to just stay with the Jews. And that's cool. We like this. And so we, we actually find some people not doing that. They're going out and they're finding all these people and they're bringing them in. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he came and saw the grace of God. That's so important. He was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. He went there looking for something. <laughs> he did. And, and the, the, the apostles were like, listen, who wants to go? Who wants to go to Antioch? Mm, not me. Uh, I'm good here. We're good. Uh, those people, we don't even know what we're going to find when we go there. They could be all over the place. What are they even talking about? Is the doctrine sound? Are they withholding to all of the things that we need to talk about? That it's very Jewish of them, and that's important. But nobody wanted to go, and they knew the person for the job. They knew. Hobson and Barnabas. Because what did Barnabas do? He went looking for something. He went and he maybe saw a church that was a little bit messy, and people were maybe a little bit questionable, but he saw the grace of God at work. And he said, mm, no, 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 no. God's doing something here. So listen, this may be what you see right now, but God is moving. God is working. And his encouragement was based off of that. And that's powerful when you have the ability to look past what you're seeing and you can look into the potential of someone and say, hey, I know this might be what it looks like on the surface right now, but hey, I've seen God do something in you. No, 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 no. It's in you. It's in you. You can do this. And I think that's what Barnabas did for those, for those new believers. They were like, I want to believe, I want to do this, but man, I've still got all these issues. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. The grace of God is working. It's working in this church, and you can do it. And I love this. One of the most powerful examples we see of this, I think, is in the context of marriage. Because let's get real for a second. Marriage is the place that you know someone the most intimately out of anybody else in the world. So it's very easy to go and maybe speak life over someone who you don't know very well. So you're like, you're amazing. Whoa, you're so awesome. I think you can do this. You're, you got this. <laughs> when you're married, you not only see the good in somebody, you see the real in somebody. Sometimes you see the bad in somebody. And so it's quite another thing to look at that person who maybe let you down maybe hurt you, maybe disappointed you, maybe has potential, and you're like, mm, we're just not there yet. Oh, when we were getting married, I just saw so much potential, and I'm just still, still not seeing it. Uh, it's, it's quite another thing to look at that person and pull out the potential in them, to look past what you're seeing, right? And so a, a, just a small example of this that I thought of when I was preparing is, um, 
I love to write. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about in life. I love words. I believe words create worlds because I love words. I love to write. I, I, love to, I want to write music. I want to write um, all the things you can write. I want to write them. But you, <laughs> you would never know that about me, though, because guess what? I'm not doing it. Hmm. There you go. It's made myself vulnerable to all of the people here today and accountable to you today. So now you have something to come to me and say, so how's that writing going? Just with grace. But um, my husband, um, he, he very easily can see all the things I'm not doing and all of the, the callings that God has, has put on my life. All these prophetic words that I've spoken over. He could be like, come on. I mean, do this. Like, you know you're supposed to do it. Why aren't you doing it? Like, okay, this is like time 20, and you did like for like two weeks, and then you, then you walked away. Um, but he doesn't do that. He, he looks at me, and he's like, no. I, heard, I was there when people prophesied over you. I was there. I heard those words. I heard, I know your passion. And so he chooses to encourage that in me, even though it is currently not what he is seeing. It is not the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is I'm really not doing the things that I need to do. I'm not really being that obedient to God. How's that for being real, right? I'm going to stand up here today and think I'm really not being obedient to this. But the power of encouraging words spoken over me pulls that out in me. Because when I'm really down, when I'm like, oh, why, can't, why am I such a failure all the time? God's like, no, no, no. No, no. I said this. I said this about you once. Do you remember that? Barnabas did this. Barnabas did this for people in the church, and it was so powerful. I don't know what the first church would have looked like without the influence of Barnabas going and encouraging all these people who were in their mess, and they were raw, (laughs) and they were probably pretty scary, but he saw potential in them, and he called it out because he saw God moving. It wasn't just based off of nothing, and that, I think, is where we find the power of encouragement is God is already moving and working, and we look at that, and that takes a special kind of power, which brings me to my next point, that a son of encouragement is a spirit-empowered risk taker. <laughs> I know it's going to be preached to me when I was doing it. Um, <laughs> this one is tough, guys. It's tough. I'm just going to be honest. Um, it's really great to talk about. It's very easy for me to stand up here and tell you this, but living this out is quite difficult. We see Barnabas is a risk taker for people. He just sticks his neck out for people. And one of the most, the most powerful example we have of this is Paul. Because just a couple of chapters before this whole being an Antioch thing, Paul, who was Saul back then, was going around and persecuting all the Christians. You know, like we forget. I mean, this is, this is the Bible. But like, let's, let's think about this for a second here, okay? This is not a perfect example, but so don't go too far with it. But just to give you a picture and idea just for you to think about what they were experiencing, this would be like somebody who was in like ISIS, or something like that, who was killing people in the name of religion, thinking they're doing what's right, they're zealous about it, they're aggressive about it, and there's a wake of damage behind them. That was Paul. And all of a sudden, he has this dramatic conversion, and he comes back to the people he persecuted, and he was like, so everyone, 
Jesus found me. I found, he was on, I was on this road. He tells about this dramatic conversion. And then he's like, so, can I come over? <laughs> like, can I hang out? Like, can we do this thing together? I want to go preach the gospel. Can I partner with you? Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Some of those people in that room, Paul might have killed their family members. And they're like, excuse me? You want to do what? Uh, bro, no. No, no. Close the door. See you later. No, get out of here. No, they were, and we even see this. I want to pull up this, this scripture. It's hilarious, but it's true. This is Paul. He's coming to Jerusalem. He had attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him because they didn't believe he was a disciple. Well, yeah, I did. They were afraid of him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. There was something about Barnabas that when he said it, people believed it. He stuck his neck out for Paul. Did he know it was going to work out? No. Did he know that Paul was going to go on to write all of the, the books in the New Testament that he wrote, that he was the most, one of the most influential characters we have in Christianity? No. He had a choice in that moment. And let me tell you, this is a choice we all make every day. He looked at Paul, and he chose to believe that the, pow- the transformative power of the gospel was more powerful than Paul's past. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. Um, Because there's a lot of evidence there. There's a lot of like, we can base this off of something solid here. But he didn't have any guarantees about it. He just made a decision that, hey, but I know God. Uh, I don't know you, and I don't know if this is true, but I know what God can do. And, oh, gosh, this is tough. But I'm going to stick my neck out for you because I think God's called you to do this. And people are going to think you're crazy and they're going to think I'm crazy. But I'm taking the risk for you. That's hard to do in life. It's hard to do with people. It's really hard to do with people. It has to be spirit empowered. Because you cannot do it in and of yourself. You just can't. There's no way that we can come up to the Paul's in our life, that we can come up to those people that have maybe hurt us or, you know, we've, we've been through it before and we look at somebody and we're going to believe the best in them. We're not going to do that apart from the power of God working in our lives. But would we even have the New Testament without Barnabas's spirit of encouragement? I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know. He had that kind of impact because of what he said to him. Because he said, no, God called you. You're chosen to do this. And you get up and you go in there. I imagine Paul, even though he's like a pretty bold guy, I imagine he was probably like, okay, peace out. I'm just going to go somewhere else and preach the gospel. It's not worth it to be with you people. You're never going to believe me. But maybe Barnabas was the one that was like, no, no, I believe you. I believe you. And he didn't know. He didn't no, and I think that's important to remember because we just don't have a guarantee when we take the risk for people. But what Barnabas understood was the power of the gospel that Jesus took the risk for us every day. And he decided, he was like, you know what? It's really not up to me to decide who's worth it or not. 
not. It's not my job. I don't get to decide who deserves the grace, who deserves the words of encouragement. That's not up to me because it's already been decided because Jesus died for every single person and he assigned worth and value to them. So he has already made the decision that people are worth it. And we don't always see the outcome that we want, but it's worth it. A couple of practical things as we kind of get ready to land the plane. I don't think it's landing yet, but it's coming. First of all, as you're trying to do this for others, and again, this isn't a personality thing. This isn't just for the shiny, happy people holding hands that can just, oh, you're so amazing. This is awesome. This is great. Um, this, is, this is deeper than that. This is like getting the, the guts to dig down deep and inspire courage in someone. So don't underestimate the power of encouraging words and God using you to deliver them. Don't underestimate it because we do, right? When I was getting ready for this message, my gosh, this is, I, I was like, this, these are the thoughts, okay? I'm just going to let you in. Okay, oh, this is not going to matter. Nothing you say is going to matter. But it just thinks this is going to be like the little fluff cotton candy message at the end of the service, at the end of the series. And yeah, whatever. Just, you're a woman. Nobody's going to listen or respect the things that you have to say. After the first service, when I found, <laughs> thank you, sister. Um, after the first service, when I felt like, oh my God, it was horrible. And I went five minutes over and everyone's like, you are five minutes over. And I'm like, I felt I was. I'm a woman. I can't not talk a lot. I, I didn't even want to get up here the second time. But let me tell you how I got out of that. It wasn't because I thought about how amazing I am or how gifted I am or how I can do all these things. No, I thought, well, you know what? Today, because my husband put me on the calendar, I'm the person standing up here. <laughs> it's not about me. That's the only way I can get over that because I can, if I think about me, I'm not going to do it. But I think God has something to say, and I happen to be standing here. I happen to be the vessel, so I'm just going to say what he has to say. And that's how I got over it. That's how I didn't underestimate the power of what God wants to say through me. But it was hard. I had to make a choice. I had to make a decision. You just never know what God is doing. And some of you may say, well, that's kind of a little prophetic, you know, and I think it was. I think Barnabas' encouragement had a prophetic edge to it, and there's scriptural evidence to that, because calling something out like that in someone is very prophetic. And so you may go, I'm not, I'm not prophetic. Like, I can't do that. I can't, like, pray over people and be like, oh, that's saith the Lord. I, let me tell you, you're probably more prophetic than you think you are, honestly, because let me help your life a little bit. If you're driving in your car in the middle of the day and you have a thought about someone that is random, that is positive, Lord, it's positive, because uh, we get plenty of negative and critical thoughts, but if it's actually encouraging in nature, don't underestimate what that is, because that's God. That's God using you to encourage that person, and you need to do it. You don't need to sit on it. You don't need to think, well, it's not going to matter what I say. They don't care. I'm not, like, important. I'm not prophetic. No, say it. Say it. Because that's the Holy Spirit. And he's moving in you. And he wants to encourage others through you. I think about Earl's testimony when he stood on campus Sunday and before everyone and said, hey, I was in a room and I was going to kill myself. And someone called. 
and they said, I don't know what's happening, but I want to tell you God has a plan for your life. Saved his life. You never know what God's doing. You never know. So don't underestimate the power of what he wants to do in and through you just because you think that's not your personality or that's not your gift. Actually, it goes beyond all those things. And it's, it's kind of like if, a mandate. If we want to live like Christ, this isn't really an option for us. It's really not. Which brings me to my second point, knowing the risk and knowing the reward. I wish I could tell you every time I did that for somebody, it worked out. I wish I could tell you that. It hasn't. I've stuck my neck out for people. I've invested into people, poured my life into people, spoke words of life and encouragement over them, opened my home, you know, paid bills. We've done a lot of things over the years, and it doesn't always come back the way I wanted it to. It doesn't. Because we're not guaranteed the risk will be worth it to us. And that's tough especially when our hearts have been broken. When I'm burned, when I've been burned by people, because I have, hello, being pastors, it happens, trust me. We're misunderstood, we're, we're misrepresented. Um, we, you know, maybe said one thing one day or we didn't give you a high five. And, and I mean, it, this happens, it does, guys. It's funny, but it happens, it's true. Um, I don't wanna open my heart to people. I don't want to look at you and believe the best in you because I'm see, kind of seeing the worst in people right now. I'm kind of, this culture, this world, I'm kind of seeing the worst. I don't really want to believe the best. But it's not up to me. If I want to be like Christ and I want to live like him, it's not an option for me. And the only way you can do that is be empowered by his spirit to do so. Because you may go, listen, I've heard your message and I've weighed it out. I've counted the cost, and I've decided it's not worth it. I've decided I can't do it. Well, you're right. You can't. You can't. If you go out and try to do this thing on your own apart from his spirit, you're not going to do it. You're going to want to believe the worst in someone instead of believing the best. You're not going to want to invest into somebody that's not showing a lot of potential right now, but you know what God said about them. You know you do. You're not going to want to do that. But you have to think about the right reward The reward is not the person. The reward is not the outcome you wanted. The reward is I am more like Christ in that moment because I am laying myself aside and I am taking a risk for somebody. And Jesus did that for me and he does it every day for me and I didn't deserve it. So who am I to say that this person isn't worth it? And I may not get what I want out of the situation, but I get him and I'm more like him for it. Even in my broken heart, even in my offense and and I'm really upset at the situation, I'm still more like him because I chose to believe the best in someone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapters, love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Oh, can't do that in your own love. Can't, that's God in you. Can't love your spouse like that, Lord no. Oh my gosh, you'll go home today and somebody will make you mad. <laughs> and you'll be like, bye, <laughs> see you later, okay. Uh, but when you are living a spirit-empowered life, you're taking risks on people every day. It may work out for you, it may not, but you're more like him for it. So we close. 
I want to show you a picture that sums up really this whole series. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And I'm going to give you the picture of a sword. And every one of you have that sword. The sword has two primary functions. It is a weapon, we know that. It goes into battle, does its job, cuts people and gets them. All of, all of those things that I don't want to talk about because it's gory. I'm not talking about Walking Dead kind of stuff here. But <laughs> it's a weapon. And with God's words, that weapon is powerful, the Bible tells us. It's more powerful than a double-edged sword. With your words, you might be walking around cutting people's heads off and you didn't want to. But there's another side to the sword. There's the flat edge, like in the crown. I don't know if any of you have seen that. There's a, there's a scene in the crown, and she's teaching her sister how to knight people because she's going to be gone. The sister's mad at her because she's not doing it right. And so she puts the other edge of the sword on her shoulder. She's like, oh, that's a little, it's a little harsh. She's like, it's the flat edge, remember? Because the flat edge was used to bestow honor and dignity and nobility in people when they were knighting them. So... Every person in this room is going to leave today with a sword. Your words are powerful. Your word is your sword. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to go around with a wake of damage behind you because you can't control your tongue because it's a fire that can't be controlled? Are you going to say hurtful, offensive things? Are you going to do damage with your sword? Or are you going to use it to speak life over people, to give them dignity and honor and bestow that upon them because that's what Jesus did for us. So I could do that for you. That's our sword. Maybe your sword's just hanging out in the sheath and you're cool. You're just walking around. I got this big powerful weapon and I'm not using it for anything. It's just sitting there. Maybe you need to open your mouth today and say the right things. Sometimes not saying things can be just as bad. Because if God put something on your heart and you didn't encourage that person, you're not using your sword. So maybe today the answer is I need to open my mouth and I need to be a spirit-empowered risk taker and I need to go and bestow honor and dignity upon people because that's what Jesus does and that's who I am. And so I'm going to do that. Maybe you need to go home and repent to somebody. Maybe you need to call a family member. Maybe you need to look at somebody and say, I'm sorry, I have not been speaking life over you. Are you, I'm sorry about your wounds. Can I help you heal them, bind them? Can I tell you that I believe in you? Can I tell you that it's worth it? And I'm gonna do this for you because Jesus did it for me. So why don't you stand to your feet today? Go ahead and have the worship team come out as we pray. I want you to think about it as, as we pray. I, I, I assume there's probably a gamut of people in this room today with you feel you're on different ends of the spectrum about it. But the answer is always more Jesus. No matter what it is, no matter if you need to tame your tongue or you need to open your mouth, or you need to believe in yourself. Maybe you're in here today and you cannot inspire courage in someone else because you can't even believe it about yourself. 
You can't even believe you were worth the risk. But God says you were every day. Maybe you need to be inspired by courage from Him so that you can go and do that for others. We're just going to sing a little bit of Holy Spirit and, and ask Him to literally, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Speak to us. Tell us what we need to do. Help us be spirit-empowered living people. Help us not try to do this in our own strength. God, help us. Help us. We can't do this. We cannot speak words of life over someone. We cannot encourage someone like you can. But with you, we can. With you, we can love. With you, we can take the risk. We can stick our neck out for people because you're empowering us to do it.